this. Thank you for being here uh, with us and worshiping with us today. The rest of us will be in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. I invite you to find uh, that passage in your smartphone or in your Bible if you actually brought a Bible. I'm old school. I like to follow the text right where I see it in my own Bible. And occasionally I like to mark it. And for years and years and years, I've been able to remember where that is and go back and find it uh, because I've had it open. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the American way, isn't it? The pursuit of happiness seems to be dominant in our modern-day culture. Some writers call it the happiness craze. Thousands of new books come out uh, each year or over several years, and they continue to be published, things like happy money, happiness for beginners, the happiness advantage. Happiness is so important to our world today. At the same time, a recent study argues that pursuing happiness does not lead to what the Bible would call joy. This study argues that we need meaning, purpose, and a sense of mission more than our happy circumstances. The authors of the study uh, write, happiness without meaning characterizes a relatively shallow, self-absorbed, or even a selfish life in which things go well, needs and desires are easily satisfied, and difficult or taxing entanglements are avoided. Sounds great, doesn't it? But while being happy is about feeling good, meaning is derived from contributing to others and to our society in a bigger way. One researcher wrote, Partly what we do as human beings is to take care of others and contribute to others. This makes life meaningful, but not necessarily happy. What do you think about that? How important is pursuing happiness for you? Would you rather pursue personal happiness, or would you rather live a life with meaning and purpose? may not be an easy one to answer. I don't know. What I can tell you is that Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through through 9 is not about your happiness, okay? Let's have a look at Philippians chapter 4. I'll start by reading verses 1 through 3. And the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Verses 1 through 3 Paul challenges us to stand firm in the Lord. Well, how do you do that? Well, 
Paul has laid out a framework, and he just continues to develop chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and now he comes to chapter 4. Strive for full devotion. That's been the message of Philippians, written in many different ways. He speaks of his deep love for the Philippian believers. He has great affection uh, for these people that he's served, that he's led to Christ. He says in verse 1, my, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy. He, gets, he has received joy in his inner being because of his purpose and meaning that he has with um, the Philippians, with the ministry of serving them has brought him great joy, which is different than happiness. Because happiness is about our circumstances. It's about what's going on around me. Does, is that what I want? Those are our circumstances. And he says, my joy and crown. Because one day when he meets the Lord, those believers in Philippi will be proof of what has been accomplished in that community. Um, believers coming to faith in Christ and the gospel being advanced through the lives of people. And that will be a crown for Paul. And then he says, stand firm in the Lord in this way. So he's going back in this way, back to what he said previously. Um, how do you do that? Well, chapter 1, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let the gospel be your standard about how you live and your choices. Um, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, consider others more important than yourselves. Um, verse 5, chapter 2, have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. That's the pattern that you have from Paul. That's, that's uh, how to stand firm. Verses 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, verse 14, it's one of our family's favorite verses, do not grumble or complain. And we all quoted it many times. In chapter 3, verse 17, uh, and Paul says these words. We looked at it last week. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and not just as you have us as a, uh, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. And so that was an invitation from the Apostle Paul to follow the example that he has been setting forth as he has followed Christ. He invites the Philippian believers to follow him. And we talked about last week how it's so important that we have other people in our lives that are ahead of us in their walk with God. And they can be models for us. We can learn from them. They have some things that they have, have um, achieved or accomplished or developed that we can learn from. And uh, Paul invites us to do that. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Don't veer off course. Don't get sidetracked. Don't go into spiritual neutral. Don't begin to drift as the writer of Hebrews warns. 
Um, because when you do, you're moving away from Christ. You know, there is no safe neutral because you're disengaging. Keep building your spiritual life. Keep building your life with God's word. Keep trusting in God for your future. Keep following. Keep walking with Christ. Stand firm, Paul writes. You know, the enemy would love to mess us up, to get us off the course, to discourage us, to cause us to worry or be fearful. Um, he would love to deceive us. He would love to see a moral failure that would be devastating for you and your family. Stand firm, the apostle writes. How do you stand firm? Verses 2 and 3. Seek to resolve conflict. It starts with us. Think about this. Resolve conflict. Do you have conflict in your life that needs to be resolved? It starts here, he writes. Resolve your own personal conflict in verse 2. Verse 2. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntech Sinteki, two women in the church in Philippi, and they get their names in Scripture forever because they couldn't get along. I don't think I would like my name written forever because I couldn't get along. It would be sad to be caught. I plead with Yodia. I plead with Sinteki. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Two women. We learn from verse 3 that they have contended for the gospel with Paul. They have been partners with Paul. These are good people. They are Christ followers who take their lives seriously and their commitment to follow Christ and their commitment to advance the cause of Christ even during hard times. But something has happened. We don't know what. Something got one of them bent sideways or both of them bent sideways. Somebody got their feelings hurt. Somebody got mad. And these ladies are out of alignment. There's a conflict. And it's hurting the cause of Christ. And it's hurting them. Um, they are no longer contending for the gospel. They are, in fact, not contenders, but they are contentious. Paul pleads with them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, he's not asking them, okay, you've got to agree about everything. You've got to agree about the color of the carpet. You know, you've got to agree about the punch served at the church reception. Or He's not saying that. You don't have to have the same, you know, it's like in marriage. Do you have to agree about everything? It helps, so does it? <laughs> you don't, everybody has a different opinion, and you approach things differently, you see things differently, you have a different background. So, you know, conflict is just normal. But don't live there. Uh, don't seek to retaliate. Seek to resolve conflict. And Paul is saying, um, be of the same mind in the Lord. Well, what's the mind of the Lord like? Well, it's about having Christ-honoring values. You know, Jesus said to love one another. Well, how are we going to do that and have this conflict? We're, we're going to have to figure out how to do this. 
to be kind and tender-hearted toward one another. Well, that'd be important. Forgiving one another, just as Christ and God forgave us. We, how do we, you know, what do I need to forgive here? To be merciful, how do I do that? Because that's, that's the mind of Christ. To be humble, how do, am I responding in pride? And he's saying, come together and have the same mind. These are the values of Jesus Christ. Um, this is what Jesus taught, Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24. And he writes, uh, the Matthew records the words of Jesus. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, some kind of offense or conflict, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus sets a priority for us here. First, you've, you, you, when God brings somebody to your mind that you have a conflict with, something that's unresolved, some kind of offense, or they think you've offended them, whether you think you did or not, he's saying, go to them. Leave your gift at the altar. This is about worship. And he's saying, before you worship, go get this taken care of. Here's a priority. Get this taken care of. Because you're not suited for worship right this minute. You need to get this taken care of. That's how important it is. Uh, resolving conflict makes a worshiper's heart right. So, do you have any unresolved conflict that you need to address? Now, not only do we seek to resolve our own personal conflicts, but also, verse 3, help others resolve conflict. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, Yes, can I ask you, my true companion, or my true yoke fellow, that's another word that's used to describe it. We don't know who this is. Somebody in the church he's writing to, a leader. He's addressed this whole letter to the elders and the deacons. My true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side. See, they, they've been on Paul's team. Um, high, 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 high capacity people serving Christ in the cause of the gospel along with Clement. We don't know who he is. Somebody at the, in the church at, at Philippi, maybe he's been in Rome. And the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. They're, all, they're going to be in heaven. They're, they're, they're co-workers with Christ. And so um, Paul urges other people to help these women resolve their conflict. Sometimes people need encouragement. Sometimes they need direction. Sometimes they need guidance in how to resolve a conflict because sometimes when you're in it and you're so emotionally involved... We don't always see objective reality, although we're conv usually convinced that we totally have it right. But sometimes it's good to have an outside person who gives you an objective perspective. Is there anyone that you need to come alongside to help out? You know, we do that with our kids, don't we? We, we often have to help our kids because they don't want to resolve their conflict. 
And so that's kind of just a natural for family. And sometimes kids try to help out parents when they get out of sorts a little bit. Our, our oldest daughter got good at that, uh, helping us resolve conflict. Um, is there someone that, need, that you need to come alongside and bring encouragement and to help resolve some kind of relationship, some kind of broken relationship with a brother or sister? Jesus also taught this in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Characteristic of a Christ follower, a peacemaker. Um, peacemakers are people who help others resolve conflict and avoid wars. Sometimes it gets pretty bad, conflict. But peacemakers are not people who just seek to appease people and to avoid conflict. A lot of people seek to avoid conflict and they get confused as being a peacemaker. Though sometimes avoiding conflict is very wise. Other times avoiding conflict doesn't resolve anything and it doesn't deal with truth or issues or nothing really gets resolved. It just gets avoided. Peacemakers help people deal with issues honestly and truthfully as much as possible. Help others resolve conflict. In verses 4 through 7, let's read that passage, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. The apostle writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verses 6 and 7 are really, really well-known passage. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Focus your life on Him. Verse 4, rejoice in your current circumstances. Rejoice in your current circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord in your current circumstances, not in your circumstances alone. He writes, rejoice in the Lord always. When? Always. I will say it again. He, this is important to Paul. I guess it must be important to God also. Rejoice, he says. Focus on joy in Christ. How do you do that? When life is hard, when, when life is easy. When? Always. When life is hard, when life is easy, when life is boring, when life is exciting, when life is fun, when life hurts, and when life is sad. How do you do that? Well, you're going to have to take your focus off your circumstances and think about what God is doing in all of this. What is God up to? Who is he? What is he like? How does he operate in our lives? Um, 
So what is God currently doing? What, how do you know? What does God's word tell us he's doing? Well, he's providing for my needs. How about you? Has he been providing for your needs? He's working to answer billions of prayers right now. What is God doing? He is uh, drawing unbelievers. He's wooing them to Christ with the message of the gospel and through the lives of God's people. What is, what is God doing? He's loving and serving people through his church. God is at work. Um, he is forgiving sins, and one day he's going to make all things right. What is God doing, and what will God be doing? We have a lot of promises. and One day Jesus will return, and we will see those promises fulfilled one after another. There are good reasons to rejoice in the Lord about your relationship with him. Um, this is not like good advice. This is what God tells us to do. Verse 5, respond to difficult situations with gentleness. We see verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's coming back. Could come any day. Let your gentle and gentleness be evident. Instead of being harsh and uptight and angry, let your gentleness be evident to all. Your gentleness, your gentle spirit should be known by other people, should be, should be known by your spouse and your kids and your parents. Your gentleness should be known by your friends and people at your church. Your gentleness should be known. Those, you know, people you serve with, believers, but your gentleness should be known by everyone. People who don't know Jesus yet. Maybe your neighbors, maybe your coworkers, maybe your classmates. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Gentleness is a byproduct of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23 tells us how gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes to the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Next slide. Bear with each other. That's a good one. Put up with each other. Cut other people slack. And forgive one another, even if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is a, these traits that are listed here sends a powerful message to our world. This is how a Christ follower lives. 
This is how we stand firm in the Lord. And because of God's ability to transform us, transform us into this kind of a person, we can rejoice in the Lord. Now think back in your own life. Since you have met Christ, what has he done for you? How has your life been transformed? That's a reason to rejoice. We come to verse 6. Replace anxiety with prayer. Replace anxiety with prayer. I've taught this passage so many times in, in my public ministry, and I'm just cautious not to fall into a cliche and you know, say it the same way every time, and it's like, okay, there's a magic formula for anxiety. You know what? There, there is no magic formula for anxiety. But here's what Paul writes. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So I want to just begin by saying, feeling anxious, having anxiety, experiencing fear are God-given emotions. And God uses them for our good. It can remind us of important things or things that we need to remember or things that we need to get done. It can, it can warn us of danger. Those are good emotions. Now, we're not always comfortable with them. We don't always like them. But there are a lot of benefits to them. The problem with anxiety is when we dwell there and we can't move on, we can't get past that, and we seem to live there, and it affects our stress level, it affects our health. There are hundreds of studies about how stress causes damage to our health. Um, our, our emotional health, our mental health, our physical health, and I won't cite them for you today. Um, he, so Paul is not saying that having fear or having anxiety is wrong. In fact, if you're human, it's just pretty much normal. He is saying, take what is causing your anxiety and use it as a reason for prayer. Take what's come before you and like a, turning on a switch, it's like uh, anxiety and fear ought to be like a flashing red light on our dashboard. Okay, I, I need to attend to this. What, what do I need to do? I was kind of embarrassed uh, today when I, I came in. We did, a, we did a sound check. That's what we're supposed to do every week. So uh, Cameron asked me to come up here, and I've got my mic on, and I, I start testing my mic, and Casey's back there trying everything with the switches, and nothing is happening. And a little technical difficulty, we'll get this work out. We keep trying. I keep going. Finally, Casey walks up, and he says, can I see your, and he wants to see my little uh, receiver here. And you know what? It, it wasn't hooked up. The wire wasn't hooked up. 
You know what? As soon as I saw that, I knew what to do. All I had to do was put it back in, and it just worked great. And that's, that's the idea. When something comes on, a warning light comes on the dashboard, what do you do? And Paul says, when you see this anxiety and it's starting to mess with your life, here's what you do. Shift it toward prayer. It's real. Be honest. Don't try to say, I shouldn't feel that way. Or don't try to tell somebody else they shouldn't feel that way. But move it so God can help you carry it with you. Transfer it over to him. Um, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation. So prayer is for every situation. It's not just for the big problems in life. Uh, We can pray, um, and here it means to be specific. He says, uh, prayer and petition. And that means to be specific in your prayer request. So take what is causing you anxiety and be specific about what it is. That's why sometimes writing things out or journaling is really helpful because sometimes anxiety is just such a confusing emotion that we're not able to clarify just what it is that's causing us to feel this way. And so being clear about what the anxiety is all about is really helpful to be specific in your prayer request. Verbalize those things that cause your anxiety. But don't pray only for those things that cause your anxiety. Pray in every situation. And then he says, pray with thanksgiving. This is crucial. It's one of the most important things about prayer. The attitude we approach with thanksgiving. Gratitude. That's why I'm excited we're going to do Gratitude Sunday. God has done so much. We have so much to be grateful for. And we need to be grateful people. I came across a whole lot of studies on gratitude and how I've I've read some of them in the past to you. Um, Gratitude, people who are who are grateful have have better health, they have better grades, they they perform better. Um, People who don't die earlier, they have a number of health issues. You know, it's, it's almost funny, but that's not the reason. The reason is to honor God. We, we just get benefits from honoring God. But being thankful. Who is God? What has he done for you? It's so important. And um, we have three kids. And um, our oldest, there are several years between our first child and our second child. We got married really young. And then we had this big separation in time. So our oldest daughter got to watch our lives be transformed in a huge way where she she remembers the old dad and what life was like with him seeing me maybe passed out on the floor, seeing some of my language and some of the things that I thought were important. She remembers all that. And she watched God change her dad and want to read the Bible 
And it made this little six-year-old girl so happy to see her dad reading the Bible. And she was there the first time I prayed out loud as a new Christian. That was so humbling. And then we were in seminary five years after that. And she got to watch God answer prayer one after another after another. You know, we had to have, we had to have God provide everything. And she just saw how he did it. And her faith grew. Now, my other two kids, so it's like our oldest daughter, Tina, grew up uh, living in the desert and then getting to the promised land. If you read the Old Testament, our, our other two kids grew up like living in the promised land because they grew up in a pastor's home and there was all this God stuff going on that was just normal. And they didn't see some of those things. Their faith didn't get built the same way. Now, they, they both are people of faith, but not in the same way as our oldest. And um, being thankful, and our, and our oldest daughter is really a thankful person, and that's how she copes with life. And I'm impressed by that. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We move to verse 7. Recognize the result when you follow the pattern that Paul has laid out. Pursuing full devotion, rejoicing in the Lord, standing firm, praying instead of dwelling with anxiety. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think this is absolutely amazing. God promises peace for anxious moments. The peace of God is not the absence of problems. It isn't about God taking away the problems. He may or he may not, but it's about experiencing the peace of God in the middle of the problems. It doesn't mean our circumstances get changed for the better. It means that deep in my heart, I know Everything is okay with God. God is in charge. And I get this personal peace that comes from God. I wonder if you've experienced that. I've certainly heard many of you have. But have you really challenged what God has said? Have you practiced? Have you lived by faith when it comes to these things? We tend to just want our circumstances to change for good, and we tend to want to just be happy. And, you know, we live, in, we live in a country where pursuit of happiness is our right. It doesn't mean that it's always good, does it? And the peace of God transcends all understanding. It's not logically, it's not logical, humanly, it doesn't seem reasonable. It's a God thing. It's real, and it enables, um, it enables me to keep moving forward when life is hard. It enables us to rise above our circumstances when we can have the peace of God 
even when life is hard. That's just... Um, it comes from following Christ. It's how Christ lived, and it's how he has called his followers to live. Does moving anxiety to prayer help you rise above your circumstances? We come to our last section, verses 8 and 9. Practice worthy thoughts and actions. Look at verse 8. Paul writes, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. This is pretty straightforward and it's quite simple looking. In verse 8, process your thoughts through the grid of Scripture. This requires discipline. I'm not sure Christianity in America is really that much interested in being disciplined when it comes to our thought life. Because we can watch anything on TV, we watch anything in the news, we can see anything on the internet. Um, process your thoughts through the grid of Scripture. Run your thoughts, run your distractions, your dreams through the grid of Scripture. And Paul gives us a grid. And of course, that really means all of Scripture, not just this verse, but there's a whole lot of things here that are very helpful about your thought life and how to process your thoughts. So he gives us a list. Focus on these things. Is it true? That's a good question. Is it a lie? Is it deceitful? Is it dishonoring? Does it line up with what Scripture teaches? Is it a value of Scripture? Is it true? Or is it noble? Is it honorable? Does it have high qualities that honor God? Is it right? Is it righteous or is it unrighteous? Is it according to justice? Is it pure? Is it morally pure as opposed to immoral? Uh, impure thoughts can lead to things like pornography, extramarital affairs, just a couple of things. Pure thoughts. Is it lovely? A beauty that comes from God, lovely, of great and moral um, and spiritual um, beauty. Is it admirable? Is it worthy of Christ's followers' attention? Is it excellent or is it praiseworthy? And so Paul gives us a grid of Scripture to help us make choices. Back when we were in seminary, um, we had a little, we had Philippians 4.8. Somebody had call, uh, calligraphied this verse for us. And on the top of our TV, it said TV guidance, and we put that right above our TV. 
So when you think of your life, what guides you in your choices, whether you are doing social media, whether you are searching the internet, whether you're watching TV or going to a movie, what guides reading a book? What guides your thoughts? What helps you process thoughts? And I'm not here to bring judgment and make a list of rules for you to keep. But these are principles about feeding our soul. Verse 9, put into practice what you know to be true. So we're going to come full full circle here. Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. He's saying, simply pursue full devotion to Christ because that's how, G, that's how Paul lived his life. Verse 9 shows us how the spiritual life is transferred from one person to another. Um, it, it shows us how we learn. It shows us that we need at times to be taught that we need to receive information that we're taught. Uh, We have to think about uh, not what just is is said. We have to think about what is heard, and we have to evaluate with what we see, what we see in the life of another person. Somebody, I could tell you every week that you should do this, you should do this, you should do this, and if I'm living another way, boy, that's just, it's a waste. It's worthless. And we talked about last week how important it is to have people in your life who are just further along than you, that you can be in relationship, that you can learn from, that you can see them model. Sometimes it's really good um, for for married couples to be around other married couples that just are a little further along. And and, uh, sometimes just watching them, you can learn a lot. And, um, And then sometimes... They can be helpful in guiding you, maybe even through conflict. And then we come to the end. Picture the promise of his presence. I don't know if you noticed, but all of the, whole, the whole message was alliteration. You, you need to just go back and look at that. Didn't always flow well, but it was, had alliteration. Picture the promise of his presence, and the God of peace will be with you. That is a great promise. That's the outcome of all that's been said so far. Standing firm in the Lord together, rejoicing in the Lord no matter what our circumstances. Um, You know what? We did this during COVID, didn't we? Because we talked about this a lot. We had so much change and so much things were not normal. And we worshiped and we focused on our God. And then focusing on prayer instead of focusing on anxiety. And yes, anxiety is real, and you're not a a bad person when you experience anxiety. We just don't want to live there. And we can expect the peace of God to guard our hearts, like a shield to protect us, to protect our minds, even though things can be crazy. Um, I'm walking with God, and he's put a shield of peace around me. 
and we can expect the God of peace to be with us one step at a time. What a comfort. What an encouragement. What a strength to have the God of peace with us. You know, whatever you read about our culture, you know, we live in such an unusual day. I've, I've been around a long time, and you know I'm an historical person because I have a lot of history, but I like to study history and, and all the changes that I've seen from how simple my life was growing up and how much more complicated it is today. And one of the things that observers write is how much stress people are under in our culture today. Um, COVID, I mean, it's amazing how much research had been done up to 2019, and that was before COVID, and COVID has changed everything. And um, you've experienced a lot more stress the last year or so. Some of it was because we had a stay-at-home order. Um, some of it was be just the way we lived with COVID, and we wore masks everywhere. At least most of us did. And uh, it was just different. And then we had uh, racial unrest and racial injustice. And then we had shootings and violence in our streets, and it's still going on. And now we have stuff like, you know, a building just collapsed. Our world seems so unstable. And we have, it's, life is so much more complicated than it was when I was in my 20s. And there's so many more decisions and so many more choices to make. You know, every morning when I leave the house, I have about 25 decisions I have to make. Or I'll get somewhere and I've forgotten what I thought was important. 25 might be exaggerated. But I have more than I wished. We face a lot of stress. Um, obviously, politics has added to that this past year. But our anxiety is real, and we don't have to be ruled by it. Douglas Mumford cites uh, these st statistics uh, in his book, Sacred, Scared of Life, not Sacred Life, Scared to, to Life. He says 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. What do you think about that? 60% of your fears, would you say that? are totally unfounded? I don't know. 20% are already behind this. 10% are so petty they don't make any difference. But don't tell anybody that because they think it's really important. 4 to 5% of the remaining 10% are real, but we can't do anything about them. And only 5% are real fears that we can do something about. What do you think? Well, we know we can stand firm. We know we can rejoice in the Lord. We know we can take these fears and we can bring them to Christ. We can trust Him and we can walk with Him through it. And we can experience the peace of God and we can have the God of peace with us. Let us stand for prayer. Father, I thank you uh, for the book of Philippians, and I thank you for...
Paul's encouragement and his challenges and what we can learn. Help us to stand firm in the Lord. Help us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that we can strive together as one for the sake of the gospel. Help us to stand firm. Help us to rejoice in the Lord. Help us to turn to you and think about our need for you and for your strength and for your wisdom, for your provision, for your power. Thank you that you answer prayer. And, and Father, we just uh, entrust our, our lives to you. When it comes to things that we stress, may it just become an automatic to move from one stressor to putting it into your hands through prayer. Thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've given us in our lives in Christ. Thank you for the gift of our salvation and all the resources we have to live for you. In Jesus' name and for his sake, amen.